mingled in a fruit fight. I don't wanna know about wrong or right. Ah, the striped light of autumn. It's starting to hit us now, isn't it? Oh, man. I mean, what was it, a week ago we were still getting temperatures into the 90s? Four or five o'clock in the afternoon, it'd be 93, 94 degrees in Greeley, Colorado. And you thought summer really would never end. I mean, school had started. Jerry, well, the formerly Jerry Lewis telethon was on its way. People were coming back from vacations. People were uh, changing to their fall schedules. Clothing stores were, were putting away the shorts and the short sleeve T-shirts and putting out their coats and jackets. And yet, here we were, Greeley, Colorado, northern Colorado. And it was still like, wait, isn't this still early July? But bound to happen, ladies and gentlemen, just, just uh, kind of unavoidable. The season changes. Well, still, we're going to get uh, some days into the 80s this week, low 80s, believe it or not, in a certain time of the day. But you know, if you go outside the door before 9 or 10 in the morning, you'll feel it. You'll need a jacket. <laughs> I mean, if you're a student at the University of Northern Colorado here, yeah, you're going to be on the campus in shorts and uh, sleeveless tees playing frisbee just because that's what these people do. But not I. No, no, I, I, it was such a sad moment two days ago when I realized in the, in the early afternoon that if I was going to go outside, I could no longer wear shorts as I had been doing, I think, since like April. I literally had to go back in the closet and put on <sighs> long pants. So discouraging, so, so disturbing. And, and it, it's ironic, too, because now my wife is forcing me to go to the gym twice a week. Uh, it's kind of a gift. She got me a, a trainer to work me over twice a week to get me in shape for something. And um, so now I have to wear shorts twice a week. So I have to go to the gym, change out of my long pants into shorts, when if I'd done it weeks ago, all I could do was just walk in, take some crap out of my pockets, put it in my bag, and go. Uh, the little things I complain about. That's me. I'm Dave. Dave Lefkowitz here on uncradio.com, doing Dave's Gone By, as I have been since October of 2002, when this program first started on a tiny commercial radio station on Long Island. It was on Sunday nights at 11, and kind of stayed there most of the time, moved up earlier in the evening, then it was on a weeknight, sometimes it went to 90 minutes, usually it was just an hour, all sorts of weird stuff, until moving out to northern Colorado with my wife two years ago and bringing the show to this station, UNC Radio, which you can listen to on the internet at uncradio.com, on your dorm room television sets if you're at the university, which is Channel 3. It's the soundtrack to whatever cards they happen to be flipping over it. And let's see. To find out more about the show, visit davesgongby.com. 
dot com, and that's Dave's like my name, D A V E S G O N E B Y dot com. And we also keep a MySpace page open that we update uh, every fifteen or twenty minutes, depending on the the number of songs that we play in the show, because we keep a playlist going. So if you want to see what we played and you don't want to wait for me to back announce, just go to the MySpace page and it'll all be right there. And we will be playing quite a bit of music in this episode of Dave's Gone By, including a Saturday segue of songs about autumn, because it's three days away, folks. So the real fall is actually coming. That's why the weather changed. It was in anticipation. Also on this episode of the show... Rabbi Saul Solomon will give us his weekly rabbinical reflection. He'll be talking about 9-11. I know this is already like a few days sort of old and and we're past it, but uh, this was written a few days before the anniversary of September 11th because the rabbi just had to get his feelings out. And we didn't do a show last week. We were preempted because I was over at Potato Day in Greeley. I'll, I'll, I will talk about that. But the rabbi still wanted to make his feelings known even past the 9-11 anniversary. And what else? We might be going inside Broadway for a little bit of Broadway news. And most importantly, in just ooh, about 20 minutes from now, we'll have our very, very special guest on this episode of the show. Um, an actress who's been at it for literally decades and is still cliche and all, going strong. She's doing a cabaret show in New York in just a couple of weeks, but the other main thing that you might know her from is when a little off-Broadway show happened back in 1960, four years before I was born. It, It was just this cute little, somewhat experimental musical by these two guys. I think they met in college. They were really young and stuff, and they decided to put together a a whimsical show about life and love and youth versus old age and the maturity that suddenly hits youth, not always in a very nice way. And they called it The Fantastics. I don't think that was the original title, as a matter of fact. Um, And played at this place called the Sullivan Street Playhouse um, down in Manhattan, and ended up opening and getting some nice reviews and getting some people to go see it. And before you knew it, well, the thing ran a few months, and then it ran a year, and then it ran two years, and five years, and it ran something along the lines of 40 years. The Fantastics off-Broadway. Well, Jerry Orbach was one of the original players. I believe he was El Gallo. And another original cast member was the person that we'll be talking to in just about 20 minutes, Rita Gardner. She has a new CD out called Try to Remember, very apt, of course, and she will be remembering back to the Fantastics as well as some other shows she did on Broadway and talking about sustaining a career in this business well into later life. So, yeah, Rita Gardner. And it's funny, when I sent out the emails for this program, as I do every week. Uh, and if you want to be on the email list, just shoot me an email at davesgoneby at AOL.com. But it was one of the most um, responded to announcements that we've ever had on this show. And we've had some, some kind of famous people on this program. But suddenly, you know, Rita Gardner, and it's like, oh my God, I met her once, or oh, please ask her this, and, and all that stuff. So I will. And I'll be happy to do so. Exciting show. It is our 361st 
episode of Dave's Gone By. We're calling it Lovely Rita. But before we get to some of that, it's time to dip into the autumn because fall is approaching. And we'll, we'll start it gently in our Saturday segue with a little bit of early Bruce Coburn. Cloud pillars clinging like vines to the sky Don't cry We'll walk down the meadow with sunrise inside So dry your eyes The winds of all kingdoms meet Where we stand The grey forest people Cast off their old clothes Sleeping as winter draws near So close your eyes The mists of all twilights dance close at hand Filled with the love of 
of a girl I held her close but she faded in the night Like a poem I meant to write And the leaves that are green turn to brown With the wind And they crumble in your hand I threw a pebble in a brook And watched the ripples run away And they never made a sound And the leaves that are green Turn to brown with the wind And they crumble in your hands Hello, 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 hello Goodbye, 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 goodbye That's all there is And the leaves that are green Turn to brown
against the earth But we all love the sun We spin around in water and dirt Yeah, we're holding hands like one He said the music must have put us here Cause we're vibrations on a sphere Wrinkles in time are not divine They change from year to year He said summer's gone but we don't care I'd rather spend our time here with you, yeah You, I said, baby, summer's gone, but we don't care I'd rather spend our time here with you, yeah You, Must embrace, she guides us to those lights. To face the space without our mother would be an awful plight. He said we've returned for another year, yeah, another smoke and another beer. Wrinkles in time and not divine, they change from year to year. Here. Said summer's gone, but we don't care. Yeah, we'd rather spend our time here. Must dance. I said, all the ladies of Earth must dance. And if those ladies of Earth can't dance, I might jump into that ocean. Fills the air 
She wants to know if your heart has mended And if it has, then can you take her there?
Tom Waits always brings a, a certain finality to everything he does. It's like it's very hard to follow Tom Waits with anything, and he just caps off that Saturday segue so well. The last rose of summer, Tom Waits from The Black Rider, and uh, one of the few ballady songs on that kind of rough and raunchy album. Wonderful album, by the way. Um, also... In that set, and we'll do some more autumn and fall songs later on in the show, but just wanted to to play a few numbers that ease us into the season. We started that set with Bruce Coburn, very early song from him called Fall, Simon and Garfunkel, The Leaves That Are Green. That was followed by um, an instrumental piece with the unmistakable sound and orchestration of Moondog, that crazy blind New York Viking, uh, that song... Autumn from Moondog, then Frogs Gone Fishing, little-known kind of country pop, almost jam band with Summer's Gone. Bill Morrissey, the late Bill Morrissey, we lost him a couple of months ago, When Summer's Ended, and uh, one of my very favorite songs and and songs by this artist, Amy Rigby, doing The Summer of My Wasted Youth. I I tend to play that every couple of weeks. I find a reason to, and uh, I played it during the summer here, and now I'm playing it again at the end of summer especially in a university where everybody's pretty much wasting their youth. The summer of my wasted youth, followed by Tom Waits, the last rose of summer. Well, we are going to be joined by a certified, absolute, 100% Broadway and off-Broadway rose in just a moment or two. She is an actress and uh, also a cabaret singer. She's going to be playing and singing tonight and tomorrow at the Metropolitan Room in Manhattan on West 22nd Street. So uh, she'll be telling you more about that. But also, we will be asking her about her years in a show that ran for years and years and years uh, that opened back in 1960 at Off-Broadway's Sullivan Street Playhouse. Um, have to, uh, so I'm, tr- I'm trying to pick which song to bring Rita Gardner in with. Should I do the opening of her new CD? Or, hmm, yeah, let me, let me do that. I'll play Try to Remember in a little bit. Because her new CD is called Try to Remember, and it opens like this. Wait! 
from her new CD, Rita Gardner of Fantastics fame and some other Broadway shows as well. She happens to be here by telephone in the neighborhood with us, even though she's all the way in New York getting ready for her cabaret stint at the Metropolitan Room. Rita Gardner, you should be on the air with us. Are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, lovely. Hey, Rita, how are you? I'm fine. <laughs> a little tired, but fine. Well, you've been doing the show um, all week, right? or the last two Well, weeks, I did it last weekend, and then I'm doing it this weekend, and uh, we had a show late last night at 10 o'clock, so. Oh, oh And then okay. it's 7 uh, tonight, and then 7 tomorrow night. Does it and then get... I think I'm taking yeah. it on the road Ooh. and maybe doing it in colleges and, and doing master classes, and I look forward to that. Well, yeah, well, bring it to Greeley. We, we could use you in northern Colorado. Uh, that, that's where we are, by the way, the University of Northern Colorado. Ah, well, maybe I'll see you. Really? Are you going to be in Denver or something like that? Or Well, we're trying uh, because I think I'd like to, you know, get it all, you know, uh, situated so that I can take it to different colleges and hopefully I'll get to Colorado. I love Colorado. <laughs> Who doesn't love Colorado? I mean, it's no, Colorado. Well, let me ask, how's the weather in New York? Because we're, we're getting a like, change. Today. I'm Absolutely sorry? Absolutely beautiful. Oh, yeah? Um, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's actually, it's actually pretty nice here, but then again, it's Colorado. <laughs> yes, at, at least it's not raining. I can say it's not raining. That's, that's true. Well, soon it's going to rain. I can feel it. Ah, oh, aren't you nice. <laughs> well, let, let's, let's start with the forward first. How long have you been doing your cabaret? show or, or various cabaret shows well, well i did this uh, about 10 years ago i did it at the sullivan street playhouse uh i tried it out there and i i you know i have i've done it around but i really you know haven't done it for quite a while and i thought this would be a good time to take it to a, a cabaret and and show it to to people uh and then perhaps from there take it to colleges. So it's been about 10 years, really. Oh, wow. let, me, let me ask you one question. Um, what is the Sullivan Street Playhouse now? What the hell have they done with it? You know, I don't know. I, I, I'm afraid to go down there. I think it it's, it's really scares me because I think it's, I don't know if they ripped the, the theater up or, or if there's an apartment building. They were going to do a lot of things. I don't know if they ever did. I, when I go down to the village, I never go to Sullivan Street now. <laughs> Is it because you just don't want to, you know, walk? No, out? it was so. It it was very special, and uh, it was so sad when we did the last show down there because Laurie, who Laurie Noto passed away, I think wanted to close it because he was ill. But it was sad, and so now I I don't go down there too often. Yeah, I mean, I, I keep wondering because I, I was an NYU student back in the uh, the 1980s, so that's when I started all my theater going, and I would go see well. Only one show was playing at the Sullivan Street Theater ever. Ever. <laughs> right. And, and now it's at the Jerry Orbeck Theater, you know. It, 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 well, it reopened. Have you seen the, the new, quote-unquote, I mean, really, it's it, sort of the same production that they would have been doing if the Sullivan Street Playhouse had still been there, but they brought it to the Jerry Orbach Theater. Have yes, you seen it Yes, it was the Snapple, and then they made, you know, they, yeah. they turned it into the Jerry Orbach Theater. And I went, I think when it first opened, because Tom Jones was doing the uh, old actor, and so I went to see it. Yeah, it brought back a lot of memories. Did you, were there points when you wished you could have gotten right back up on that stage and done that? I mean, it's impossible you know, the, the years separating. But did you have those moments when, when the Louisa was on there and you said, oh, oh, let me, let me? No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, no, I said, no, that's the past. <laughs> 
my bow has drooped enough. I wow. <laughs> no, but I, I enjoyed whoever did it. I don't remember because it was quite some time ago. But, no, I just sort of looked at it and said, gee, I was in a very good show, really. I didn't know that, but it's really terrific. It, it does last. It's in certainly the music, you know. And, and speaking of lasting, and, and a couple of people have asked me this question, and Tom Jones, thank goodness, is still with us. And I think yes. um, uh, Harvey is – I checked. Someone said that Harvey was gone, but I think Harvey's still there, right? Oh, sure. He lives in Texas. Right. I mean, I, I guess he's retired, and he was ill for a bit, but Harvey's very much alive. Uh, yes, he is. Other... I hear from him every Christmas, and oh. I I had cards made, you know, uh, because uh, he designed the the uh, CD cover, and I, I had somebody design the cards from the CD cover, and I sent him a card with a note on it, and we do keep in touch. I love him. And he's doing well? He's uh, pretty healthy? I, I hope so, yeah. Oh, thank God. Great, great. And Tom, you know, Tom's never going <laughs> to... He's never going to slow down, let alone die. I mean... Uh, no, yeah. no, no, no. He's coming tomorrow night, and I look forward to it. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And the question that people have been asking is, are there any more people from then uh, in that show who are still with us from this first year or two? Do you know? I... I well, it, 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 it's Tom and Harvey, and uh, and I... Don't know. Oh, yes, uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, Blair Stauffer, the mute. Hello. Uh, it, yes, I'm here. You're still here. So yeah, Blair, uh, Blair. yeah, the mute. Because uh, you know, we got an award a couple of months ago. The Off Broadway Lee gave uh, Tom uh, an award, and and uh, Blair Stauffer was there. So yes, the two of us are around. Oh, wonderful. So great. Yeah, I mean, because one person emailed me and said, oh, we've got the last uh, living Fantastics person. And I was like, well, no, I know Tom Jones is still there. Yeah, some digging found out. So, so I'm thrilled. This is, this is good. Now, let me ask you, how long were you in the Fantastics from when uh, it opened? Was it nine months? I went to do a movie. I went to do a movie called One Plus One, and then Jerry left the same time I did because he went to do Carnival. So it was about nine months. We we stayed with it a long time. Well, yeah, for, especially who knew back then that an off-Broadway show would even run nine months. I mean, that was a, a long time for then. Yes, it was. Well, you know, we closed it in New York because uh, Laurie was very smart. He closed it in New York, and we went to do it in East Hampton because it didn't get the greatest reviews, and people were telling him to close it. So he did it for one week. We went to the John Drew Theater in East Hampton, came back to New York, and we were a hit. I didn't realize. I thought it was just straight through. So technically, no, 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 you no, were in the no. revival. Well, I mean, we didn't get the best reviews, and you know, nobody was coming. It was like, uh, you know, it was like playing in a in a club with a sea of white tablecloths. You know, uh-huh. I mean, nobody came. <laughs> People were just staring at us and thinking, "What are we seeing?" And when we left, uh, we did it at the John Drew, and everyone came to the John Drew for a week. I think we we did it for a week, and then came back to New York, and on, and some of the magazines came out, and they were very favorable, and so all of a sudden it became a a hit, and then we recorded it. Well, sure. Was it a slow build, though, after you got back from the John Drew? In other words... It was pretty fast after that, ah. as I remember. It was It was started... And then we did television, and, you know, we started to, to do a lot of publicity for it. But it was Laurie's, you know, decision, and he said, no, I'm not closing this. So we have to give him a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. Did you... Remembering the rehearsal process of the show, did they make 
Harvey and, and Tom and, and I guess Lori Nogo, did they make a lot of changes or was it basically set and you were just learning it? What do you remember about rehearsing? I, I remember it was pretty much, yeah, it was the script that we got. Um, you know, and I, I tell people, you know, it was very interesting because Ward Baker, you know, was the, the director and there were no rules then, you know. I mean, we didn't have all these rules. So one day we'd come into rehearsals and if it was a good day, we stayed late. If it wasn't, we went home. <laughs> So it was a very flexible time, you know, mm. um, but we all loved the show. All the actors loved the show. So we all came with a great deal of enthusiasm. Did you regret having to, to – I mean, nobody regrets going into a movie, but did you regret leaving the show after nine months? You know, it was time. I think I, you know, it, I think we all felt. I know Kenneth stayed for a little while longer, and then got another show too. But uh, you know, after a while, it was time. We had put in a lot of work, and you know, when something comes up, you say, "It's time to go." Uh, we stayed with it even when we didn't get the good reviews. Laurie wanted the original cast to stay, and we all did. Hmm. So, after nine months or a year or whatever, I think we all felt it was time, and we got other offers. That's what we did, but it it we did record it, so we knew it was there for people to hear, and you know, did um, MGM did it, right. and it was the first time they ever recorded anything. I think I'm a musical, you know, right. nobody I, recorded musical comedies at that time, especially off Broadway. I, mean, I think MGM ended up doing the Three Penny Opera um, CD also when that played off Broadway. Pretty yeah. sure that was a on their label. I'm not hundred percent. Did you ever go back but, to it? Oh, sorry, sorry. No, I, uh, I, did I ever go back, you mean, to see it? No, to do it. To be in it? Yeah. No. No, uh, you know, I kept going and doing other things. Hmm. Uh, and so did Jerry. Right. No, we didn't do that. I don't think either of us did it. I don't know if Kenneth did that either. I don't remember that. Hmm. Um, um, yeah. You know, sometimes people do do that, and I think some of the actors did. I think the original people just... When it was time to leave, they left, and other people came in, and that's what happened. Now, one of the things you say on the CD, and I think you also told Michael Musto this for his column, was that, um, I guess maybe we're exaggerating, but is it true that pretty much every time you tried to sing at one point in the show, the confetti, the confetti would come down, and you'd get a mouthful? Yes. Oh, no, I swallow, I, all that is true. I swallowed a lot of confetti. I had to keep out of its way. Wow. You know, uh, <laughs> when we did They Were You and all of those songs. Yes, because Word loved confetti. Hmm, well, Word Baker. And there was no yeah. way to, to place you in a way that you wouldn't be inhaling it. <laughs> no, it was a very small stage. Well, yeah, of you course. Know, it was at three quarters in the round. And uh, it was designed very well. You know, we, we it was just a, a white sheet, you know, saying the Fantastics and... And we had chairs that we that we climbed up on to do round and round, and we found that all of that was improvised in rehearsals. You know, it was wonderful freedom to improvise and find the right way to do something. And Ward was a great editor. Hmm. He looked at something and said, "No, let's use that." But no, that really works. And he let us. Go, you know, we, we had imaginations, and he didn't try to stop them. Oh, that's great. So you had. He was, he was that kind of director. Miss him. You know. 
Do you remember any amazing um, moments or scenes during your run with the Fantastics? Audience members doing crazy things, thinking they were part of the show. Well, I, I've told this before, oh. so you know, it, and it, it always makes me laugh when Tulula Bankhead came. I don't, you know, Tulula Bankhead was yeah. a, you know, a very well-known actress, and she sat in the first row. And every time I came out to sing, she cried. So finally, she came backstage, and I said, "Oh, Miss." You know, Bankhead, did I move you so much? He said, oh, yes, you, d- you did, but I cry at Leo the Lion. Of all people, well, was she in her cups or was she... Uh... No, uh-uh, huh. no, no, well, no, and we had a lot of famous people come. I mean, Richard Rogers came and, oh. and a lot of people. Well, uh, do you have any recollections of meeting, like, backstage or, or whatever, or anything that they said to all of you, these famous people? Oh, well, they just absolutely loved it. You know, it was just the, the show to see. Did you get any and, advice um, from people and like we had yeah. w- We had a midnight preview. Word hmm. thought that would be lucky. Hmm. So the first preview we ever, ever had was at midnight. Oh, I forgot that. You know, I'm telling you this, and I had forgotten that. Oh, my God. Did, did and Charles you... Nelson Riley was there. Uh-huh. And he came in and, uh, you know, he... <laughs> My husband at the time was sitting with him, and and he said, "It must be a wonderful show." After five minutes, she has twelve numbers. <laughs> well, let's let's hear. Little... He said that, and I I mean, and he really did. He was just going, "My God, she ever stopped." <laughs> Well, let, let's hear some proof of that. Uh, we do have the 1960 Off-Broadway cast album of The Fantastics, so if, if you wouldn't mind bearing with us as we hear you many, many years ago in The Fantastics singing much more. If, if that's oh, okay. sure. Stay Thank with you. us, please. <laughs> Rita, this is Rita Gardner. I've heard that in a long time. Oh, yeah. Much more. And much more Thank with Rita Gardner on Dave's Gone By. I'm 16 years old, and every day something happens to me. Oh. Oh. Oh, I hug myself till my arms turn blue, and then I close my eyes and I cry and cry till the tears come down and I can taste them. I love to taste my tears. I am special. I am special. Please, God, please, don't let me be normal. I'd like to swim in a clear blue stream where the water is icy cold. Then go to town in a golden gown and have my fortune told. Just once, just once, just once before I'm old, I'd like to be not evil but a little worldly one. To be the kind of girl designed to be kissed upon the eyes I'd like to dance till two o'clock Or sometimes dance till dawn Or if the band could stand it, just go on and on and on Just once, just once Or 
And as promised, we have much more with Rita Gardner here on <laughs> Dave's Gone By. So, so... I sound th- like 12 years old. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you almost were. What were you, 20? Oh, my goodness. I hadn't heard that in a long time. And by the way, because, you know, MGM didn't know what they were getting into, they, we didn't do many takes. You know, we did this very quickly, these, yeah. this, this album this CD now, but when we were putting it together, um, one, two, three, maybe one or two takes, and that was it. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, everybody knows probably if you're in the theater, the the soundtrack, or excuse me, the cast recording for a company, and how the fact that back then everybody was on the clock, and they had to get it right in just a take or two, well, unless you were Elaine Stritch, (laughs) she she got one, one gimme, but everybody else, I mean, you know, people, there wasn't infinite money. Uh, to no. do these things, and you had to no. get in there and do, and do it. Yeah. Usually That's overnight, true. you know. Um, That's true, yeah. So, appreciating that you're talking so much about the Fantastics, but it's really not fair to just ask Riga Gardner about that one show, since obviously you were in it only for nine months, and then you went off to do a bunch of other things. Yeah, I was in, oh God, Robert Preston, uh, Ben Franklin in Paris, and I did Jacques Brel, and I did To Be Ungifted in Black, and I did, you know, one show after another in regional theaters and voiceovers. I think I'm a working actor. I always consider myself a working actor, and a few years ago I did The Wedding Singer. Right. And, you know, uh, now I'm doing The Grandmother in Dora the Explorer. Don't ask me what that is, but, I mean, I'm thrilled to do it. <laughs> well, you mean you're the voice of the PBS? Yeah, oh. the voice of the grandmother. Hopefully, it'll, I hope they run it a lot. But, um, yeah, I just did that. So, uh, you know, they, I think you just go on and you, and you do what you do. Uh, I, I don't stop, really, and I'm very fortunate about that. I, and I've taught a great deal all over the country. Oh, great. I love to teach. So, you know, you know I've taught at Juilliard and, and HB. I studied with Uta Hagen for many years. So Are you, are you teaching acting there. or voice? No, just acting. acting. No, voice is... You know, I had one teacher for a long time, and now I have a marvelous teacher, John Bayless. And and I think, you know, what I would say to people is you study, you have a craft so that when you get older, you know, you can work. Because if that's what you do, that's what you'll do for the rest of your life. Well, here, here's You have a, to have yeah. a craft. I think you have to know. Because it's not, you know, you're, you, you have to know what you're doing. Oh, yeah. And there are some very good people out there. You come up against some very talented people, and you have to be up there and know what you're doing. So and which, I believe in studying. Well, of course. Absolutely. But some people don't now. You know, I mean, we have a lot of reality shows and stuff that, you know, kids want to get into, and, you know, that's where are the jobs, they say. And I said, well, they, you maybe get them now, but not in 10 or 15 years from now. True. Although, if you get on the right reality show, you make $2 million, and you never have to do a show again. You know. Well, you know, if you really get, if you really love what you do, you mm-hmm. want more. It, then it becomes not about the money, it becomes about the work. And well, you've kept... Actors, it's about the work. You have, have kept have working all, all these years, and that's the thing. The, the idea is that you've never had to have... Um, maybe you were waitressing just before the Fantastics, but you know, have you ever had a day job or had to? Um, a day job. Oh, when I was going to college, I was a dental assistant. Oh, Don't wow. ask me how I did that. <laughs> did you actually have to go into people's... I looked at a lot of ex- x-rays, and I, I knew about teeth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. 
But, uh, you know, and yeah, and the, the, the dentist wanted to send me to school to be a hygienist, and I said, I don't think so. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know how I got to do that. Don't ask me. Um, <laughs> but that's what I did. Wooga cooga sugar, you know. At, at the what a should have guess, of course. Now so when we, I look at teeth, I go, oh, I, listen, I could have been that. I could have done that. There you go. No, no, I just go to the dentist. I don't have anything to do with it other than that. You did mention Ben Franklin in Paris, which was uh, a 1964 Broadway show. And, and you came yes. in there. Susan Watson was supposed to be in there. How did you get the part? Um... How did I get the part? I, you know, Susan was leaving, and I, I auditioned, uh, and so I replaced her. And Robert Preston oh, was a darling man. He really was. He came mm. into rehearsals to work with me. Wow. He was a yeah. He did that. He didn't have to, but he did. I didn't work with the understudy. I worked with him. He is one of the, the shining gods of American musical theater. Is I mean, any uh, great Robert Preston stories, any, any memories of him? No, because um, I was in, it was L'Enfantaine, and I think he was going through a lot of personal things, so I never really saw him except on the stage and when we rehearsed. But he was just a joyous person, and opening night he sent me champagne and flowers and notes, and I... I, I treasured him, a lovely, lovely man. But no, we didn't get to see a lot of him personally. Oh, I didn't know him okay. personally. Any, any other but thoughts I, on people over the years that you have worked with who are either lovely, lovely people or really awful? <laughs> Dish. The ones that are really awful I won't talk about. Oh. <laughs> no. Uh, no, there were some that, you know, you know, I can't say really awful, but you say, listen, uh, maybe <laughs> they'll go away for a while and their understudy will replace them. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, people can be difficult. Uh, and there were a couple. There's well, always a couple. Well, if you don't but, want to give a name, like, what would be a, a, a difficult thing that you encountered? If, you know, you can give the initials. You don't actually have to say... Hmm. No, no, I won't even give you the initials. What what happens is that, you know, there are some people who are, you know, they're not used to the stage, and they get on the stage, and they don't know what they're doing. So, you know, it, it, it's a fine craft, you know. You can't just come and be on the stage, and sometimes people forget that. Whoops, okay. <laughs> I'll have to dig back through your IBDB resume. and, and <laughs> That's for my another act. That's for my new act. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll get on with you and I'll tell you. <laughs> That's fair. But okay, then fair enough. Then tell me at least one or two other uh, really marvelous, wonderful, lovely people, special people that, that you've worked with. Uh, oh, special people, special people. Um, hmm. Special people. Well, I talk about, uh, and I liked her a lot. Uh, I liked Eileen Heckert a lot mm. working with her. She was terrific. I loved Eileen. And and I liked Cicely Tyson a lot and Barbara Baxley. Mm. I mean, these are names, you know, I don't know. People know who they are. Do you know what I mean? I don't. Well, no, Cicely Tyson was in Sounder. Uh, Barbara, Barbara Baxley, that's kind of eluding me, I have to admit. Uh, Barbara Baxley was an actress in the in the, oh, I guess, you know, she was around for a long time, and she did a lot of plays, and she was a terrific actress, and she was into The Young, Gifted, and Black, and, and Cicely Tyson, yeah, she was a lovely lady. I oh. liked her. That, that's, that's, that's great. Um, 
Also, so your last Broadway show was The Wedding Singer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which which didn't do I I kind of liked it. It didn't do that well on Broadway, but it did pretty well on tour. People really liked it across the country. Yes, you know, I heard that. Uh that shouldn't have closed. I don't know what happened. Uh it didn't get the greatest reviews, no, but people loved that show. It was fun to do, I must say. And Stephen Lynch was the lead, and he'd done a lot of Comedy Central stuff, and he was very good in it. And I enjoyed doing The Grandmother. And uh, it, it, people adored it. I don't. That's one of the yeah, mysteries. I, and it was terrific. Uh, you know, I loved doing it. Can I ask? I don't know why it oh, closed. By the way, uh, just want to tell everybody, it's 11 in the morning here at UNC. You're listening to Dave's Gone By on uncradio.com, the radio station of the University of Northern Colorado, listenable on uncradio.com and on your dorm room TV sets as well on Channel 3. So if you're listening to this, you can also listen, listen to it on television. I don't know why I keep adding that, but, but I just have to... <laughs> Well, it's what you do, isn't it? And we're here with Rita Gardner from The Fantastics and Ben Franklin in Paris and The Wedding Singer. And when were you in Jacques Brel off-Broadway? Jacques Brel was in the late 60s. I, I replaced Ellie Stone, and I talk about that a lot in my act, because uh, she would like, you know, she got tired, she went on vacation, and so I would replace her, and when she wanted to come back, I had a Chinese dinner and was fired, so I <laughs> came back and did it again, but that's a show I went back to a lot. That's, a, that's a, some pretty terrific music in there, too. Yes. And then Jacques Brel came to New York, and we met him, I think it was in, we went to Carnegie Hall. And he came, and the whole cast met him. And it, 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 what a brilliant, really brilliant! And uh, I, and then I did it in San Francisco. Uh, I did it. I did it all over the place. You know, that's a show I, I really did a, quite a bit of. Um, one, one of our readers slash listeners um, wanted to also ask, and and not to get too terribly personal, but you were married for a time to the wonderful playwright Herb Gardner. Yes, I was. I was born and then I got married. (laughs) How old? (laughs) Very young. I got married very young, yeah. What was it like being married to... Did you marry him um, when he was still struggling playwright or had he already had... He he was... uh, At first, he, he was a cartoonist. He did something called the Nevishes. He started out as a cartoonist. He was a very good artist. Uh huh. And he was a sculptor. And he started out as a cartoonist and then wrote a book. And uh, then wrote, started writing plays. Yeah. Well, he was, you know, and my my husband, Bob Severa, is also a, a, a writer. He's a lyricist and a writer. And he has a show called Rogues to Riches, which is based on the Bow Stratagem, which was done in London. Oh my. Hopefully it'll be done here. I guess I like writers. I think I like writers. Well, let, let me ask, what is it like being two creative people, both in the theater, you were also in movies as well, so was Herb Gardner, come to think of it. And, but but did, was that a strain, or was that the only kind of people who can sort of live together and make a marriage work for a while is two people in the same field? I don't have any answers to that. I think you get married to someone you fall in love with, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I'm just looking at it, and, and I've always been attracted to people who who like to write. I think that that is true, but I don't think about that. I think it's just something 
that happens. You know, he could be a third-class forger, for all I know. If I fall <laughs> <in love> with <laughs> him, <laughs> that's what he is. Well, well, actually, I do have one, um, one more gardener question, and, and no, maybe you know this for sure. Ask maybe, away. Ask away. Well, uh, someone did ask whether, and I think this is in the Wikipedia listing for A Thousand Clowns. Was that based on uh, the, the life and work of Gene Shepard? Oh, no, no, no. A Thousand Clowns was an original play. Oh, um, no, I realize, not stolen, but was the character of um, the the protagonist in A Thousand Clowns. Was that kind of inspired by Gene Shepard? Ah, that's an interesting question. I never thought about that. I mean, Gene was around. Gene was a friend. Um, I think that came from maybe a couple of people, uh, uh you know, as writers do, you know, it's the subconscious that's working. But I think it could have come from a lot of people, uh, maybe a few people, and um, and from Herb's own insanity. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> does that clear it up? <laughs> kind of. Well, it, it, I but do, I mean, that's yeah. that's a writer's imagination. Oh, sure. You yeah, know, I, I know I, it well. I don't know if he would be able to tell you if he were alive. Yeah. Uh, it just—I think when people start writing things, it—it it just flows if it's coming, you know. I mean, and this play happened, you know. He started to write it, and it just—it—it it, it, was—it was something that he just wrote and wrote and wrote, and it—it it happened, as it were. You know, it—it it wasn't that difficult. Well, did you ever see yourself in one of his plays, or for that matter, in in work of the man that you're married to now? I see myself in all of those plays. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> of course. I say, well, where did you get your inspiration? No. Um, uh, uh, Sandra Markowitz. Well, I guess some part of me was Sandra Markowitz. I, I think so, maybe. Uh, do, uh, do you have Jewish blood in you somewhere? <laughs> oh, I have a lot of Jewish blood. That's who I am. You're Jewish? Yeah, I am. I had the, wow! Oh God, I would have done this interview so differently. No, I'm would you have done it in Yiddish? <laughs> well, there, there's actually a, a character uh, that that joins the show now and again, named Rabbi Saul Solomon, and so uh-huh. he, would, he would have been very happy to do this interview. But he, he, you know, he wouldn't have approached this if we didn't know that you were one of the tribe. Welcome! Oh boy, this is exciting. Ah, see that. <laughs> So what are you doing, Yom Kippur? No, no, I don't know. But, no, no, no. <laughs> oh, so, so you're married. Nice Jewish boys. Is your uh, current husband Jewish as well? No, he isn't. Shame on you! My mother met him and said he's not Jewish, is he? I said no. Well, let me ask, how is your current, um, you know, the marriage that you have different from previous? Uh, what makes it different? Is it the being older or is this different kind of personality? I think you said it, older, mm-hmm. wiser. So are you yeah. is it more of a friendshipy kind of? I, you know, you know when people it, it's 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 very difficult to answer those questions because when you go when you're being married you don't know the answers. Somebody else, the critic, or the people looking at it can say what they say. You know, I don't know. Uh, I've been married a long time. Um, Mazel tov. And, yeah. And so you know, here I am, and I'm I'm a happy lady. And as long as I can work and, and have health, I think that's important. As you grow older, you go, thank God I'm healthy. I can walk and talk and breathe and sing and act, and, you know, I have a life. I think uh, it's nice to have a life outside of the theater or outside of what you do. I think you have to, you know, bring something to what you do. Uh, you know, it's oh, not sure. all showbiz. So what are your hobbies? What do you do when you're not? Uh, uh, I don't have hobbies. I like to read mm-hmm. and you know, and I have a house in the country, and I 
loves that. Mm. And, um, you know, and I like crossword puzzles. That calms me down. I don't know why it does, but it does. Well, when you have a half hour before a call, you know, what else are you going to do? You're going to sit in the dressing room and, and, and work on a crossword puzzle, you know. Well, I don't do that before, oh. but I do, I'll do. i do that this afternoon. I'll look at the times, and hopefully I can get some of it. It's very hard on Saturday. Oh, that's right. They, they, they start on Mondays with the easy, relatively easier ones, and they get progressively more difficult as the week goes on. Yes, it does. I remember that. Huh. Just all these New York memories. I'm, I'm a, an ex-New York boy, and I've only been in Colorado two years. So, How long have you been in Colorado? May I ask you that? Yeah, two, two years. Um, just, oh, my heavens. Yeah. Oh. So I'm, I'm a New Yorker dyed in the wool, um, still, still crawling out of it, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> Anybody who's born in New York stays a New Yorker. I don't care where they go. It's kind of true. It's I think that that's absolutely true. <laughs> Do you have any great stories, Riga Gardner, from the road and from touring? Again, any crazy things that happened or, or memorable things? It's probably something that I'll think up after I hang up on you. <laughs> or have to, <laughs> I don't think of, I can't think about that now. I don't know. But then sometimes, you know, when I'm walking on the, oh my God, why didn't I tell him that story? Okay. So you know, I I don't remember any at the moment. All right, well, hey, maybe you'll call in. You'll say, hey, Dave, you know. Hey, Dave, listen, I forgot to tell you something. (laughs) (laughs) Just another moment or two with Rita Gardner. I wanted to read you a couple of um, the emails that we got when when we told people that you were going to be on the show. And uh, Mary from Chicago says that uh, the phrase, before I'm old, I'd like to be not evil but a little worldly wise, was uh, our mantra when she was a theater undergraduate Oh, so many theater, many years ago. And oh. uh, she became a, a theater critic, as a matter of fact, out in ah. Chicago. And then, um, let, let me see how I can word this one. I, I've met Riga Gardner. I have her autograph in front of me. Um, this is from a person who designed the William Inge Festival tribute to Tom Jones and Harvey Schmidt. Yes, I was there a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. I, oh, I enjoyed that. Yes, they honored uh, the Inge Festival in, what's it, Lawrence, Kansas? Yes, exactly. And, and, and they honored Tom and Harvey. It was brilliantly done. It, it was really very well done. Yeah. He says and that they got Harvey, a lot of us out there. Harvey couldn't make it because he was ill at that time. Yes. But you were there, Tom was there. Um, yes. And you signed his one-of-a-kind hardback edition of The Fantastics, and the only library book he has ever stolen. <laughs> And he wouldn't give it back for the world. Oh, that's very sweet. That's well, nice. not the stealing oh, part, you. but yes, the rest of it, absolutely. <laughs> Don't tell the library, but that's I know. very sweet. That's very sweet. Thank so let, let me ask. I want to remind everybody also that Rita Gardner is going to be at the Metropolitan Room on 34 West 22nd Street. She's doing a show tonight. Uh, at whoa, 9.30. Yeah, you are staying up late. No, it was, it's at 7 o'clock. Oh, 7 o'clock. I'm sorry, 9.30 last was night last night. Right. 10 o'clock, actually. But today at 7 and tomorrow at 7. Today at 7, tomorrow at 7 at night in New York at the Metropolitan Room. You can also get her new CD, Try to Remember, A Look Back at Off-Broadway. Do you have a website where people can... Yes, it's it's uh, com. I do have a website. Can I ask... And a lot of it uh, is all on there. Last question for Rita Gardner. Do you have, have cabaret audiences 
changed or morphed in the past decade or so? Just because, I mean, there, there was that old style, the cabaret we remember from the 50s and 60s, and then music changed and taste changed. And is it, is it the way it was? Is it different? What's cabaret like now? Nothing is the way it was. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, there were so many more blots and places to sing and perform. Um, I'm, a, I'm a theater bunny, so I, I, I don't know if I can answer that, you know, really, but I'm sure it has changed because there were so many places for people to get up and sing, and they had acts, and they went from one place to another, and I saw a lot of people, so of course it's changed. It's so, so expensive now. Oh, well. Uh, for people to come to nightclubs. I mean, it's expensive. It's like $30 well, plus a two-drink minimum, and the, the drinks are, yeah, you know. Yeah, all of yeah. that, you know, and, um, and it's expensive to go to the theater. I mean, it's all changed. Everything has changed. So I, I, I think cabaret is, of course, it's different. Oh, and before I speak too soon, let me, let me advise people that the uh, cover charge for Rita Gardner is only $20. So it's a bargain, ladies and gentlemen, $20. <laughs> <laughs> and a two-drink minimum uh, for Riga at the Metropolitan Thank you. Room. Yes, it is. It's not, it's not outlandish. Really, it isn't. And, you know, I'll say I, I really enjoy talking to you, and I hope you get to New York sometime. Oh, yeah, I'll actually be there in October. So if you can get back to the Metropolitan Room, I would love to see you. Or, hey, come to Greeley. You know, there's, there's, there's life here. I would love to come to Greeley. I'm going to speak to also Sherry Eaker, who who helped arrange all of this, has also helped me oh with gosh. this show, and I I couldn't have done it without her. She has been absolutely wonderful. So I'm going to mention that because I'd love to go to Greeley. Oh by, well, tell tell Sherry hello. She's a, an old I friend, will. and and also Pam Souza. I I didn't realize. That she... she helped me with the musical staging, and Barry Kleinbord and Alex Rybeck. I had a great team. Alex was my music, is my musical director. Barry Kleinbord, my director. I mean, uh, it's been a fabulous uh, group of people. Well, if, I, if you and, speak, and Friedman, who helped me write some of these things, I, yeah. I was thrilled to have them all working with me. Just to me, if you see Pam Souza, just tell her Dave Lefkowitz says hi. Um, oh, I, I was, will. I was I in the box office will. of Olympus on my mind before. Before it moved to to like have a bigger off Broadway, she she won't remember me at all. But just just on the off shot, tell her hi. I bet she does, and I will mention that. Well, thank you, Rita Gardner. It has been an absolute joy. Of, it has uh, been a pleasure for me, Dave. Really wonderful, and I'd love to meet you in person. It's a deal. On one okay, coast or the take other. Care. Have a great weekend, and best of luck with the show. Thank you. Bye bye. The kind of September when life was slow and oh so mellow. Try to remember the kind of September when grass was green and grain was yellow. Try to remember the kind September when you were a tender and callow fellow. Try to remember, and if you remember, then follow. When the moon was young, when the month was May, when the stage was hung for my holiday, I 
CD, ooh, pardon me, little throat clearing time. From her new CD, Try to Remember, Rita Gardner, and so delightful to have her in the neighborhood here on Dave's Gone By. It is September 17th, 2011. You're listening to this program, which airs every Saturday from 10 in the morning until 1 in the afternoon mountain time. Got to take care of some business before we get to uh, part two of our Saturday segue about the autumn. Plus, we'll have Inside Broadway in a little while and Bob Dylan, Sooner and Later, where we play a bunch of Bob Dylan songs. And, of course, Rabbi Saul Solomon mentioned in our interview a few moments ago, but he will be here in the 
flesh, as it were, to offer his rabbinical reflection of the week. Uh, that's about an hour or so away. So lots more to do on this episode of Dave's Gone By. But first, the weather in Greeley, Colorado. Let me let me refresh that so we get an actual temperature. I know it's got to be warmer than 50 degrees now. Um, it was when I was coming out here. Oh, it's 57 degrees. Could be a bit rainy today. Some isolated thunderstorms developing in the afternoon, but the high is going to pop into the mid-70s. Uh, chance of rain, 30% tonight. Yeah, could be some thunderstorms again early, going down to the mid-40s. And then tomorrow, sunshine, some clouds, and we'll perk back up to about 80 degrees, uh, cloudy tomorrow night. And then Monday, clouds again, and it'll get even a little bit warmer into the mid-80s again. We won't see those 90s. Uh, probably until May. But yeah, well, we've got some 80s left, and I'm sure we'll be seeing 70s at certain times of the day, well into deep into December, as the song goes. Anyway, I'm Dave Lefkowitz, and I've got to give some thank yous, by the way, to our sponsors of this program, including Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway. Since the mid-1970s, the Torong family has owned and operated Minuteman Press, which does copying, printing, binding. If you want your logo or picture on a calendar, if you want your uh, company's logo on a pencil or a mug, these are the guys to go to. If you need New Year's and holiday cards, go to Minuteman Press. But especially if you need copies of things and bound volumes of stuff. Minuteman Press. They've been doing it for a long time. They do it well and reasonably priced. And if you tell them Dave sent you from Dave's Gone By, you get 10% off any order, big or small. Now, they're in Hewlett, Long Island, so they serve that particular area. And you ask, well, here I am in Colorado. Why am I, are they still sponsors? Well, I still use them. And... Um, you know, when I have a big copy and printing job to do for a, a newsletter that I put out, I still go to them because, well, they're sponsors, so yes, I get kind of a sweetheart deal. But beyond that, I love working with them, the, the, the Toron family, and you should too. They're right in the heart of Hewlett, Long Island, on the South Shore. And so check them out, Hewlett Minuteman Press. Give them a call at 516 516- Five six nine five five seven seven five six nine five five seven seven. They're open five and a half days a week. In fact, they're still open. I think until two today. So definitely check out Minuteman Press in Hewlett. This program is also brought to you by TotalTheater.com, which has reviews and feature stories about Broadway, Off Broadway, Off Off, plus cabaret and. Uh, what else? Oh, and feature stories, as I said, from not only New York, but all over the country and all over the world. And it's absolutely free. TotalTheater.com. Just surf to your heart's content if you want to read reviews of the latest Broadway shows like Follies, which just opened a week ago, and um, oh, other shows that are happening in places like Los Angeles and Chicago and um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And getting a lot of reviews from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival these past week or two. So, TotalTheater.com. And Dave's Gone By is brought to you by Performing Arts Insider, the Bible of Broadway since 1944. Everything you need to know about New York stages, Broadway, off, 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 cabaret, opera, dance, um, 
special events, and awards. The listings are really comprehensive in the hard copy pages of Performing Arts Insider. That's right. It's an old-fashioned, get-it-in-the-mail, put-it-on-your-desk, read-it-on-the-john magazine and uh, telling you all the basic inside information of what's happening in New York. you got to check it out. They're, they do have a website, performingartsinsider.com, that will give you information on how to subscribe. This is, this is the journal that people in the uh, television industry and on radio, bookers for, for talk shows and things like that, get this journal because they want to know how to contact a star or to get a hold of a show's press agent, or the designers of a particular show on or off Broadway. That's the kind of inside information in Performing Arts Insider. PerformingArtsInsider.com Well, you know, those are the sponsors for this particular program, Dave's Gone By. But I also have to give a shout-out to the folks who help support this radio station, UNCRadio.com. Well, um, and, and... some of the things that the station is doing locally, including we are presenting Gallagher at the, at the um, Gothic Theater in Denver on September 29th. That's right, the watermelon guy. And he does tell some other jokes besides sledgehammering the watermelon. So, yeah, UNC Radio sponsoring that on September 29th. And I know this station has been giving away some, some tickets to that, so keep listening to UNC Radio for your chance to win Gallagher tickets in Denver at the Gothic. This program is also brought to you by Marquee Magazine, um, an independent Colorado magazine that covers the regional live music scene in print and online. It has the region's most thorough concert calendar designed for music freaks by music freaks. Go to Mag. Dot com for more info. That's M-A-R-Q-U-E-E-M-A-G dot com. Markymag dot com. The Marquee, live for live music. And, let's see, it's, um, it's the Della Video Release Show, Friday, October 7th at the Gothic in Denver. Oh, a whole bunch of bands on this particular bill, including the Say So, Forget Me Not, and We Were. But the, the headliner is Della, a high-energy melodic surge of creativity unrivaled in an increasingly talent-saturated market. Ooh, October 7th, Friday at Denver's Gothic Theater. And Tech 9 playing the Fillmore Auditorium on November 12th, an American rapper from Kansas City, Missouri. His name, oh, isn't this charming? His stage name originated from the Tech 9 semi-automatic handgun. Oh, and uh, the name given to him by rapper Black Walt due to his fast rhyming style. Oh, okay. <sighs> kind of nice to hear that about a, a rapper these days. Anyway, when was that? I, did I tell you it's November something? November 12th at the Fillmore Auditorium. Well, that takes care of our business. It is 11.25 in the morning, mountain time at the University of Northern Colorado. You're listening to Dave's Gone By, and we'll get to Inside Broadway in just a few minutes, but I wanted to play a few more autumnal songs since fall is going to be reaching us in just a couple of days. Um, We heard a whole bunch of different people, but um, I didn't realize that Robin Hitchcock wrote several songs that have to do with the autumn season and that seasonal kind of feeling. So why don't we hear... A couple. So we'll begin 
with Robin Hitchcock from the Invisible Hitchcock CD, Falling Leaves.
shows they leaned on the mantelpiece over the crisp autumn fire. Fanshawe felt his calves warming pleasantly as the brandy seeped below his waist, knotting slightly over the abdomen, some of it passing back up through the spine, causing a small trickle of the otherwise pleasing brown fluid to shoot from the fontanel at the top of his head, which landed on top of the other guy's head. I've forgotten his name now. Oh, anyway, he got covered in it. Oh, what's this? Oh, some kind of fluid, said Fanshawe. Fluid? Oh, that's the top.
songs showcasing the versatility of Robin Hitchcock, um, and all of them having to do with the fall. We heard Falling Leaves from Invisible Hitchcock, followed by the instrumental piece Heart Full of Leaves from I Often Dream of Trains, then uh, Autumn Sea from Queen Elvis, that's the one with all that weird spoken stuff. I I think I have a, a fairly weird sense of humor, but... Not remotely as bizarre and strange as Robin Hitchcock's sense of humor. So uh, you get a bit of that in Autumn Sea, one of his weird stories, followed by Autumn is Your Last Chance. Pretty tune also from I Often Dream of Trains. Well, I hear out in Colorado, I often dream of Broadway, which means it's time for Inside Broadway in which we just run down a little bit of the news and the goings-on of the Rialto and the Great White Way 2,000 miles away. Just to to keep it tabbed, sometimes I'll review shows out here at uh, University of Northern Colorado or Little Theater of the Rockies or locally, Um, but most other times you know, I'll come back from New York seeing a couple of shows and report on them as well. But when I don't have a show to review, I'll just tell you some news, including, well, uh, they finally cast the new show Seminar. It's a new play by that very prolific, very talented writer, Teresa Rebeck. Um, She was the one who gave us Mauritius a couple of years ago. She also does a tremendous amount of writing for television. Anyway, talented, talented writer. And she has a new play called Seminar that is coming to the John Golden Theater on Broadway in just a couple of weeks. It's starting previews October 21st, and it opens November 20th. And now they've cast it. They already had Alan Rickman and Lily Rabe. She, of course, got those wonderful glowing reviews last season for her performance in The Merchant of Venice opposite Al Pacino. But uh, they've cast a another role in seminar and it's Jerry O'Connell 
He's a mostly a television actor. He's going to make his Broadway debut in Seminar. You might know him from, I think, Jerry Maguire, and also he was on Crossing Jordan as that sort of semi-love interest co-whatever with Jill Hennessy. So, yeah, that's her cast for Seminar coming in just a couple of weeks to Broadway. And speaking of Broadway people, Tony winner Alice Ripley uh, from Next to Normal She's going into an off-Broadway show at Manhattan Class Company, the MCC Theater, which has been working out of the Lucille Lortel space for the last two, you know, couple of years. And there's a let's see, can I read my handwriting? No, something wild animals you should know. <laughs> There he is. I should have typed these up earlier, but Wild Animals You Should Know is coming to the MCC Theater in November. Uh, Thomas Higgins wrote the play, but Alice Ripley, uh, who's done a bunch of Broadway stuff over the past two decades, not only next to normal, but she was in that uh, Rocky Horror Broadway revival and, of course, Sunset Boulevard, which is, I think, where she came to most prominence, and she did a few other things, too. So, yeah, I think that's her first major project in New York since then. Um, What else is happening on Broadway? Well, the story that we reported on two weeks ago uh, wasn't here last week because of uh, Potato Day, which I'll tell you about, but this whole thing with Porgy and Bess, this this somewhat revised version of the DuBose Hayward and Gershwin musical, um, that is coming to Broadway in November and December. Well, there was some talk that it might not make it because what happened is they tried it out of town in Massachusetts. And even before the first preview started, when the thing was just in rehearsals, and, and they had Suzanne Laurie Parks rewriting, well, reworking the book, I should say, to make it not more modern, but just, I guess, to, to tighten it up a bit and to make the important characters more... Um, viable, whatever she was doing. I I haven't seen it. And anyway, but word got out that she was making changes to what is considered a a classic of sorts of musical operatic theater. I don't think Porgy and Bess is by any means perfect, and I think it's fine to tinker with it, even if it just means getting it under three hours long. You know, but someone had a real problem with that. Turns out that someone was Stephen Sondheim, who wrote kind of an open letter to the producers and the makers of this Porgy and Bess saying, how dare you, who are you, to go and tamper with one of the the iconic works of modern serious musical theater, Porgy and Bess. Don't do it. There's there's nothing you can add to it. So that kind of was a setback, and the producers and all the folks had to sort of you know, spin the PR and fight this while trying to get this new big musical production off the ground and ready for Broadway. So meanwhile, they're, they're busy countering Stephen Sondheim's charges. Um, Suzanne Laurie Par- <clears throat> Park stayed on the sidelines, by the way. She didn't say anything except, like, I believe in the show. She didn't counter anything. She just, you know, stuck to her work, which was probably the best thing. And then the show actually opened out of town. And because it was now something of a news story in the theater, uh, Ben Brantley, the chief theater critic of the New York Times, could not ignore it. So instead of waiting for the show to come to New York, he went down to Massachusetts to see it and review it. His review was very, very up and down. He loved um, Audra McDonald, 
the lead actress playing Bess in Porgy and Bess. He just, oh, well, he's a diva chaser to begin with, but he was over the moon for her and her performance. And she can do no wrong in his eyes. And, and for good reason. Audra McDonald is a wonderful singer and a terrific actress. But that was counter to most of everything else Ben Brantley said about the show, that Norm Lewis, who's playing Porgy, was good, but you know, nothing, nothing really special. The other people were still figuring out what to do. And as far as the changes wrought to the book, some of them were helpful, most of them not remotely and kind of negative. So you had a, a fairly mixed negative review from the New York Times. You had the Stephen Sondheim barrage, facing this musical that is an out-of-town tryouts. I mean, I I spoke about this two weeks ago, about how really unfair a lot of this all is, and and the fact that this almost poisoned the well and almost made the producers worry about raising enough money to bring a show to New York that not only has negative press, but that the chief critic of the New York Times has already weighed in on in kind of a way. So turns out this week... Uh, what the PR spin people did for the show is I went to the estates of all the dead people who created Porgy and Bess, the Hayward estate, the Gershwin estate, you know, those folks, and they got people saying, we're fine with this. Go ahead. Do what you got to do. Bring it to Broadway. Make it the uh, Porgy and Bess for our time. Do it. And so that was their salvo. That was their volley to say, okay, you know, you can say X, Y, and Z about this, but the survivors or the estates of the people who made this show in the first place have no problem with it. Why should you? So that also means that they're still gung-ho on bringing Porgy and Bess to Broadway in the weeks ahead. So yes, maybe we will, in fact, see Porgy and Bess once again in New York. Stay tuned. We'll, we'll tell you more on Inside Broadway as we find out.
champagne on ice And she said We are all just prisoners here Of our own device And in the master's chambers They gathered for the feast They stab it with their stealing eyes But they just can't kill the beast I'd be playing uh, the Eagles on Dave's Gone By. Not one of my favorite bands. I mean, I know it's a classic song. It's one of those songs here on the radio, but I'm not really all that crazy about. So why am I playing Hotel California on Dave's Gone By? Well, because there is a possibility that in the years ahead we will see a Broadway musical based on or even called Hotel California. It seems that the Eagles are in development of the show. I mean, now that all these um, rock and roll kind of people have jumped into Broadway with varying levels of success. I mean, obviously you've seen uh, Spring Awakening and then, of course, U2 with, um, I mean, however badly the Spider-Man musical has been reviewed, it's doing gangbuster box office business still. So U2 was in there and then you've had some successful shows, of course, Mamma Mia based on ABBA and... Well, and Jersey Boys, so why not? The Eagles feel that there's a story in Hotel California that bears telling in a Broadway theatrical way. There's really little further news on this at this point, just the fact that, yep, they're dabbling, they're dipping, and thinking of doing a show and that may, in a year or two or four, see the lights of Broadway. Well, this has been Inside Broadway here on Dave's Gone By. If you have comments or questions about the show as a whole, want to say hi even or make suggestions for future episodes, please email me, davesgoneby at aol.com. That's D-A-V-E-S-G-O-N-E-B-Y at aol.com. And uh, let's see, have you checked our MySpace page? All you got to do is go to myspace.com and search for Dave's Gone By, and you can see the playlist for this show and a lot of previous episodes. And if you want to hear entire previous episodes of this show, they are archived at the website davesgoneby.com. Uh, again, it's D-A-V-E-S, davesgoneby.com. We haven't been able to update the website. We're having some technical glitches on certain aspects. So the last two episodes of the show aren't online. But we do have about 350-something others, uh, in, most of them in great condition, all of them absolutely free to listen to. All you got to do is check our website, davesgoneby.com. You can download them. You can stream them. Um, you know, to your computer, if you, you feel like you don't want to download a whole big MP3 file, listen to them on your iPod. It's all cool, and, and those all work. So check that out. 
And also, davesgoneby.com is the place to find out about the whole history of the show, see some photographs, and some other really, really cool stuff. It is 11.57 in the morning here at the University of Northern Colorado. You're listening to Dave's Gone By with me, Dave Lefkowitz, on uncradio.com. It's uh, three minutes to noon, as I said. Um, What else? Did I do all the... uh, the stuff I need to tell you about where you can... Oh, yeah, we're on Channel 3 in the dorms. Yeah. I, I figure if you're, you're already listening, you know that, because you were listening on Channel 3, or when I say uncradio.com, it's like, well, what else could it be? What other website could it possibly be? Anyway, just, just, just have to do those things for legality's sake. Well, it is time, a little bit early, in fact, for our weekly Bob Dylan segment. That's where we play... Oh, just about a half hour's worth of Bob Dylan music, just because, well, there's, there's nobody better, really. And just as we've done with our Saturday segue today, on this September 17th, we're going to do a Dylan segment that is connected to the change of season. We have autumn and fall coming up, so why not do a handful of Bob Dylan songs that mention in some way this particular autumnal season. We'll begin with a really cool song that was an outtake from, I assume, the Desire Sessions, then wound up on the Bootleg Series, Volume 2, I'm pretty sure. It's called Golden Loom.
One of the more astonishing performances from Bob Dylan in, in a history of astonishing performances, but boy, oh boy, ah, idiot win. It just raises the hackles, doesn't it? The original version from Blood on the Tracks from Bob Dylan concluding our Bob Dylan set here on Dave's Gone By. Every week we do Dylan sooner and later, somewhere around noon, where we play about a half hour of Bob Dylan songs, and all the tunes today had something to do with autumn, even if it's just tangentially in honor of the coming autumn season. And so we heard from Mr. Zimmerman opening the set. Wait, let me get to my MySpace page so I can read that off. Oh, yeah. We began the set 
just around noontime with Golden Loom from the Bootleg series. It's either Volume 2 or it might be Volume 3. They were all, those first three volumes were all on the same CD set. So it was like Volume 1 through 3. It's somewhere in there. Check it out. Golden Loom, followed by Sitting on Top of the World from Good As I've Been to You. Uh, that was followed by a much more recent tune, Spirit on the Water from Modern Times. And then from the... Uh, fairly unknown Dylan album, Under the Red Sky, Cats in the Well, and from John Wesley Harding, The Wicked Messenger, followed by Idiot Wind. And I realize I didn't even tell you how these all related to Autumn. So with Golden Loom, of course, there's Smoky Autumn Night, is the lyric that begins the song. Idiot Wind, of course, has Slowly into Autumn. Cats in the Well has the lyric, Leaves are starting to fall. The Wicked Messenger mentions leaves began to fall in. And let's see, let's see. Sitting on top of the world, one early fall is mentioned. And in Spirit on the Water, I won't be back till fall. Well, we still have like two or three days until fall here at the University of Northern Colorado. And, well, everywhere, you know. And it's funny, I used to get on the air on this program in the early years. And sometimes I still do. And I rail against going against the calendar, like when school would start halfway through August, and I would say, fall is here, it's, it's the fall season, and I'd be like, no, why are you taking away summer? What's, uh, you know, some, fall isn't until September 20th and the 21st, so it's like, why make that so truncated, you know, give us our full summer before going into autumn. But, uh, you know, and, and uh, of course you go into the, the supermarkets and the Rite Aids and the Dwayne Reeds and you see the, the Halloween pumpkins on the shelves. Even though, you know, it's, it's pumpkin time. It's several holidays away if you, you count the Jewish ones. So I would get into that and I would say, let's have our holidays. Let's not start Christmas in middle of October, please. Let's not start Halloween just after Memorial Day, all that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I still believe that, but I, I also kind of understand it. You know, I just felt bad for, for kids, even back in the old days when holidays and, and seasons still started a whole lot closer, like elementary school and high school students and kids. I mean, they would not have to deal with school until the day, the Monday or Tuesday after Labor Day. Whereas here in, in college and colleges all over the place, it's like two or three weeks before even the Labor Day holiday. And so I feel bad for kids, and I would feel bad for them when they were, uh, you know, when you'd be watching TV and this kid is trying to enjoy a few more weeks of summer, of freedom, uh, and then suddenly school supplies, come here, get, get your loose sleep notebooks, get your lunch boxes. Uh, get your binders. Uh, all right, I understand you need to sell those things a week or two beforehand. But let's let's have our full summer. I would say if the weather goes into, it's going to be in the 70s today, it's going to go back into the lower 80s over the next day or two at a certain time of the day. Obviously, not early in the morning or later in the day. But go find a swimming pool, an outdoor swimming pool, if you can. And go for a dip. Do something summery. Have a barbecue. You know, find a, well, ain't going to find a beach in Colorado, but, but try and do a picnic 
summer. That's a real kind of late summer thing to do. You got this whole weekend, right? And it's still summertime, the 17th and the 18th. And if you're not incredibly wrapped up in busyness and stuff at the school or wherever you're working, do something summertimey on Monday or Tuesday. Even if you're even if you're just staying indoors and you're not even using the air conditioner anymore and you're leaving the windows open at night because it now cools down the whole day, just spray yourself with with um, sunblock. <laughs> even if you're not leaving the house, just as a farewell to the season, a proper one. You know, I don't know. That, that's just just my two cents on the matter because. Um, well, you know, it's, it's kind of this interesting slide into the new season. I, I wasn't here last Saturday because I was over at Protego Day, yay, which also meant that I didn't get to talk at all about – well, I, I actually did some talking the week before about 9-11, but totally missed that. I wanted to come here on the Sunday and maybe do something on the radio in the morning just to remember in honor of that day, probably as much because I'm a New Yorker and uh, was in Queens on that particular day 10 years ago. Um, so it would have been, on some level, a mild bit of finality and catharsis to, to, to be on the air 10 years to the time and say, well, you know, I lived. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't in Manhattan, of course, but I lived through the following 10 years, ups and downs and all that sort of thing, and went through the tragedy and the pain along with everybody else. And, and here I am, and... Bin Laden's not. <laughs> and the guys on the on the airplanes are not. Yeah. And the Middle East is still in an unbelievable turmoil. Surprise. Oh, that will never, ever, ever change. But I got some of my feelings out on 9-11 um, two weeks ago. But I figure it's time now for someone else to explain their thoughts and their feelings about all the whole 10-year anniversary thing. And I thought, who better than Rabbi Saul Solomon? He is the spiritual leader of Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York, uh, has has been on this program now and again ever since our very first episode in 2002. And now, since the beginning of this year, he's been doing a weekly rabbinical reflection kind of a, a mini-sermon where he gives his thoughts on issues of the day. And so uh, I wanted to share Rabbi Saul Solomon's thoughts on 9-11. And they're probably not as whimsical or amusing as they usually are, given the subject matter. But the rabbi always finds some kind of interesting, odd, and terrifying twist on whatever he's talking about. And so here he is. He's entering the building. He's putting on his talus and his yarmulke and this being northern Colorado, his cowboy boots, please welcome Rabbi Saul Solomon. Shalom, damn it! This is Rabbi Saul Solomon with a rabbinical reflection for the week of September 11th, 2011. Boy, just hearing that date gets you in the kishkes, doesn't it? September 11th! 2011. Somehow, that just sounds more meaningful than September 11th, 2009, or September 11th, 2003, even though more time has passed. I suppose a 10-year anniversary makes you realize that, no matter what, life goes on, years pass, 
while at the same time you recall how much younger you were a decade ago and what an impact the event had on your life. Ten years ago, Wall Street was destroyed, not by corruption from within, that came later, but by evil from without. Arabs in airplanes with box cutters. How these scum puppets were able to circumvent the FAA, the Air Force, the Civil Defense, and any air traffic controller with eyes remains a mystery greater than how Drake's gets those cream fillings into yogles. I mean, it's all rolled up. How the hell do they do that? Anyway, this week we're hearing a lot of talk about closure. Ten years. It's almost another generation. The world moves forward, the dead are not coming back, and, of course, we got Bin Laden. When the bullet sailed through his forehead, it made a satisfying parallel to those planes pushing through the buildings. As I mentioned in a previous reflection, Osama's death was a wonderful thing, but killing him kills him, not jihad, not terrorism, not the memories. As we all know, grief does not follow a timetable. Time heals wounds, but you never know when a scab will come off and start bleeding again. Looking at downtown Manhattan, remembering the 3,000 victims, watching any movie that opens with a shot of that old New York City skyline, it all kicks up a sandstorm of memories. And much as we all want mental therapy and ways to feel better about 9-11, let's not go overboard making believe something good came out of the attacks. Nothing good came out of that. It was a nightmare. We suffered emotionally, financially, physically. Don't be looking for feel-good post-mortems because how could there be a silver lining from such a thing? Well... Maybe if one of those airplanes had the Kardashian family on it, but it would have to be the whole family, including Bruce Jenner. You know what I'm saying? Seriously, though, at least there has finally been some progress rebuilding Ground Zero, and it is already possible to foresee a time when our children will think of 9-11 as Mom and Dad's Pearl Harbor Day, rather than that day. Whether or not we fudged the end game in Afghanistan, I'm glad we killed a lot of people there. Iraq may have been a blunder, but I'm glad we killed a lot of people there too. God, they sound like a homicidal Andy Rooney. On the other hand, they're saying pretty soon we can once again go through airports keeping the shoes on our feet. Why? Because those feet kicked some ass. Somewhere in hell, there's a dozen Arabs being mocked and brutalized by 72 appallingly ugly virgins, all of them holding box cutters in one hand and Muslim schmeckles in the other. Happy goddamn anniversary. This has been a rabbinical reflection from Rabbi Saul Solomon, Temple Sons of Bitches.
hot potatoes are tasty indeed. You know, I was talking to uh, Rita Gardner earlier in the show, and it was so great to have her here. And she, she said the oft-quoted thing about once you're a New Yorker, you're always a New Yorker. You can't take the New York out of the person. And I guess that is true. And having spent 45 of my 47 years in New York, Long Island, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Queens, wherever, um, you know, you can pull me out here to the middle of the country, almost almost the western middle of the country, up to northern Colorado, and surround me with horse farms and chicken farms and dairies, and and you know, put me in Republican territory and things like that. But you know, does the New Yorker stay in me all the time? Yeah, I guess it does, unless you count what happened on. Uh, September 10th of this year, last Saturday, when I wasn't here at the radio station doing my show, I went to an annual event, the 24th annual event, as it happens, that they have here at Northern Colorado, downtown over towards Island Grove and uh, Environs, where they have Potato Day. Now, now this has some personal things for me um, that I don't even want to get into about potatoes and the fact that, no, I'm not going to tell the whole potato story. I'm just, I'm just going to talk about Potato Day, which mm, is one of those real old-time community things. It's, you know, we have our stampede, and that's big and a week long or two and, and kind of commercial, and you get big stars and people like that. And we also have our Oktoberfest coming up. I think that might even be this coming weekend which is weird. I mean, where else but Greeley would have Oktoberfest in the middle of September? I mean, hello? Am, am I wrong about that? If, if I am, please call me at the station and correct me. 351-1256 is the number. Um, but, yeah, okay, we have these kinds of events because we want to make hay while the good weather shines. I mean, we've had extraordinarily good weather for a very long time here um, since, like, beginning of the summer beforehand in spring. Um, so, and, and we've got the farmer's market in Greeley twice a week, and I'm going to miss that when that starts to close up shop. But, so you, you got to take those good days when you got them during the great weather before the snow and the cold hits. And so they came up 24 years ago with Potato Day, a way to honor the culture of this town, of northern Colorado, of the idea that before sugar beets, and whatever else they're doing, <laughs> and rendered cow fat, which I guess is our major economy here now, aside from training out students, our crop was potatoes. And so why not celebrate the potato? And they do it with old-timey arts and craftsy sort of things. So the, the, it's basically a, a typical old-town thing of going back to what the place was like 100, 150 years ago. So when people were camped out working for the railroads or whatever else, you'd see their little squat where they would live, with a little tin cup for coffee and a horrible little mattress and, and just a stone wall or two. And then you wander over to another recreation of some sort of, like last year, and I, I know they were back, I didn't get to them this time, but how to churn butter, which I thought was pretty amazing. You know, you take this cream and you just shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it. Or, or no, it wasn't even, it was like milk, right? They, they hang to a little vial of milk, and you shake, 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 turn this into cream, and if you shake it long enough, it's supposed to turn into butter, and that's how they do it. You know, an equivalent of churning. 
didn't really get there last year when I tried it. I shook, shook, shook. It got kind of creamy. So it was you know, sort of a went from the milk to the cream stage. But I kept shaking and shaking, and you know, my, my fingers were getting tired, and I was kind of getting thirsty, so I drank it. <laughs> never, never quite got to the butter stage. I, I apologize for that. So this year, went back to Potato Day. I was actually volunteering. Don't know why. I just felt you know, that, that little community spirit in me. And so if you went to Potato Day, you saw me. I was around spelling people who were on their breaks. Which was nothing. I mean, you'd basically just go there and watch so that nobody took their stuff. So if I went over to the blacksmith's place, you know, I'd sit on a chair and, and make sure nobody took his tools, as it were. Um, only thing I hated about that, and I, I do not see the reason for this, if you've got people wandering around unsuspecting this fairly small campground and they're going from place to place and you've got kids, well, one of the guys was a, a shooter, a trapper for furs, and he would fire off his gun. Now, I assume it's full of blanks, or he's just firing into the sky. But, you know, it's a Saturday morning. I'm half awake. I'm wandering around. It's it's already sunny. It was still kind of hot back then. And I'm, I'm, I'm volunteering. I'm being nice about things. I don't want to be walking along, thinking about that delicious baked potato I'm going to get in a few minutes, and then hearing, boom, a, a rifle, a, a bloody shotgun going off a few feet from my head. This, we don't need to do that on Potato Day. I'm sorry, you can have the guy, you can have him show the furs, right, and the type of things that he did and how their skin and whatever, or, or just <laughs> take everybody to the JBS plant if you want to do that. But we don't, we don't need gunfire. And it was, it was misleading, too, because there was a sign in the grounds during Potato Day that said there were Civil War recreation things going on there. So the first time we heard the gunshot, my wife and I were like, whoa, what the hell? And, and oh, must be the Civil War people. No, they weren't even there. It wasn't even for that day. It was later, it was, it was over down the end of the campground where the guy was shooting off his gun and talking about pelts. Thank you very much. But all the rest of the Potato Day was pretty cool. I got to talk to, shake hands with, and get a picture with the Potato Queen. This is exciting. This this is thrilling. Now, the Potato Queen is 90 years old, and she got that title. Well, it, she kind of had the inside track because she was the one who helped donate all the potatoes that they're giving out for free. You, you, if you pay your $6 admission, I shouldn't say they're free. You pay admission. It's $6, and with your admission you get a potato. So you're basically paying $6 for a baked potato. All right. It's good for the town. And, you know, they roast it, you slice it open, and they give you all sorts of condiments and, and salsa and things to put on it. Delicious. Thank you. So the potato queen, I, I'm forgetting her name, has been involved with this for a quarter century, and it is through her auspices that we're getting all these free takers for the thing. And so she kind of led the procession of all the young children. And this is why the whole potato thing appeals to me more than anything else. I mean, yeah, okay, it's old town stuff. You can do that. You can go to Mystic, Connecticut and get that um, bigger and better. But this whole idea of calling her the potato queen and getting these little children to wear T-shirts that say Charlie Chives, Kenny Ketchup, what is it, Molly Mustard or Marty... I mean, so magnificently dumb 
I love that. I, I, I begged. I was like, are you selling these T-shirts? And even though they were like small children's sizes, I'm like, I, I need this. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? These things are so expensive and, you know, we, we almost don't want to give them out. And I was like, okay, all right. Not, not going to get into an argument over it. Although I, I got them thinking about the idea of, well, you know, if you get them in bulk and you buy more than 10 at a time, they will be cheaper. And then if you can sell them for 10 or 12 bucks, dot, 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 you know. I think like a New Yorker, don't I? So that was kind of cool about Potato, seeing the the 90-year-old spud queen who was at one point the mayor of this town. Didn't even know that. So the only disappointing part, I guess, was A, because I was so busy running around trying to find people who were going to lunch so I could sit in for them while they were gone, was also the fairly sparse attendance. I don't know how the stampede was this year. I don't know if they got a lot of people or um, how that went down. I don't know how Oktoberfest is going to be. I know that the past, the previous year stampede, they had a real dip in the numbers, but everybody blamed that on the fact that they started charging. Um, Before they had been free, but then they got a lot of gang-type people coming in and some unsavory folks. So I said, you know what? As a way of making some money in these hard times and keeping out the so-called riffraff, we're going to charge to get in. And plus, I think they charge for parking, too. So that really, you know, the numbers took a hit, although then I was later told that because they were charging, they actually ended up making more money overall than they did the year before when they had more people sort of the Broadway idea of things, Broadway economics. Uh, You don't have to have quite as many people if you raise the top ticket price to $130 and people are willing to pay it. It makes up for the people who aren't there because they can't spend more than 40. So we'll see about Oktoberfest, but um, much as it was nice to be able to get online for your free potato, and, and literally you didn't have to wait more than 30 seconds on that line before they started handing you a potato and slathering it with you know, sour cream and whatever you wanted. Um, well, I guess, yeah, it's funny, you complain one way or the other. If you're online waiting five minutes in the sun for a potato, you're like, oh boy, I shouldn't have done it now, I should have waited until another time of the day, all these people, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're a, a New Yorker, you bitch and you kvetch. Whereas now when you get online and boom, there it is, oh, here's your potato, you go, oh, man, it's a shame that more people aren't here. <sighs> and that's, that's what it means to come from the East. You're never happy. You're never satisfied. But I will say I've been very, very happy and satisfied to do this program here with you today. It's called Dave's Gone By. It airs every Saturday from 10 in the morning until 1 in the afternoon. You can hear all the older episodes, or, well, nearly all of them, at our website, davesgoneby.com. Just um, go to the archive section. We have the shows listed by guest and also chronologically. So either way, you can go through them. They're absolutely free. You can download them to your iPod or just listen to them streaming right on your computer. I do apologize that the last two episodes and this one won't be on for a while. We've got webmasters tinkering with the website. There's some kind of glitch in there in the upload. It'll get there. Be a little patient. And so, uh, you know, fans of Riga Gardner who want to share this episode or, or whatever else we've done here today, keep your shoes on. It'll be fairly shortly. I want to remind you, you can email me, by at aol.com. You can also check our MySpace page, uh, myspace.com, then search 
for Dave's Gone By. I want to thank Rabbi Saul Solomon for being here with his rabbinical reflection. For more information and the writings of the rabbi, visit shalomdammit.com. You can read and hear all his previous uh, reflections on shalomdammit.com. It's also um, a place where you can go to his YouTube clips, both the old ones from his TV show, that's, uh, that was from about three years ago, and the audio clips of his reflections. And yes, fans of the rabbi, it is official. Mark your calendars. If you're in town the week of Thanksgiving, Rabbi Sal Solomon will be doing a live performance of his show, Shalom Dammit, an evening with Rabbi Sal Solomon. It will be at the Norton Theater as part of the one-act festival that they're doing there. And, and it is not a one-act play. It'll be about a little over two hours with an intermission. So, you know, the rabbi gets to torture you for a very long time. It'll be Monday and Tuesday, uh, the 21st and 22nd of November, 7 o'clock in the Norton Theater on the campus of the University of Northern Colorado. I believe tickets are free, and I don't know if they're going to go fast. Um, having you know, certainly fans of the rabbi who've heard him on this show uh, will be avoiding his performance like anything, so those seats will be free. But but do you know, keep it in mind, mark your calendars, and get your tickets when they are available because it should be something to see. And, of course, if it goes well, the rabbi will try and bring his show, much like Rita Gardner is going around to different cabaret places and colleges with her cabaret show. I'm sure the rabbi will want to bring his performance to prisons and sanitariums and to you know, various waste facilities all across this great land of ours. So thank you to the rabbi. Thank you also, of course, to Riga Gardner. If you're in New York, please catch her show. Try to remember. It's um, tonight and tomorrow night at 7 o'clock at the Metropolitan Room, 34 West 22nd Street. I'm looking for a phone number on her um, her postcard, and I'm not seeing it. So just Google or, or go to the Metropolitan Room, metropolitanroom.com. It's only a $20 cover plus a two-drink minimum. And as you've heard, she's something pretty, pretty special and uh, wonderful history. I want to thank so much my dear wife, Joyce, for all her help. I hope she starts feeling a little bit better. She's had a bad cold the last half of the week. And so um, I, I hope that finally trails off and goes away. Big thanks to the programming director of this radio station, uh, Sam Wood, who allows me to do what I do here. Um, you know, and I, I think that's a pretty special thing to do. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We will be back in one week. Yes, I know we've had sort of a sporadic schedule over the summer, and we will again in October because of uh, the Jewish holiday and I'll be in New York and stuff. But yes, on the 24th, I'll be back with, hopefully, it's not set in stone, Chris Lemon. He is um, a writer, an actor, also a, a very fine piano player, and he happens to be the son of the late actor Jack Lemon. So I'm definitely going to have some cool questions to ask him. We're trying to get the daughter of another fairly, very famous person to kind of do both of those in the same day. Don't know if that's going to happen. We're going to try. But anyway, yeah, looking forward, hopefully, to Chris Lemon on the 24th. And then on October 1st, Greg Kinn, 
Remember him? He had that song Jeopardy and a bunch of other hits in the 1980s, and now he's a radio host out on the coast. So we've got him, and then... uh, Turning your calendar way forward to October 22nd, our guests are going to be in the same show. Check this out. Cabaret singer Barb Younger and the return of Jason Grah. Great, great stuff. So thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being in the neighborhood with me and for spending these last moments of summer here in the neighborhood. And now let us all go tromping through, as, as the clock turns to one, the autumn leaves with the late Eva Cassidy, have a great week and gong by.
But I miss you Most of all My darling When autumn leaves start to fall 